Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection Pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. All right, so Stephen and I are here at the Yellowstone Wolf Summit. We just got done with day one, and it's a pleasure to have Garrick Dutcher back with us from Living with Wolves. He is the research and program director. Uh, Garrick, just what's it overall for you, uh, like for you to just be in this summit with all these people, a lot of colleagues of yours, people that you've you know worked with over the years? What's it like just to be at something like this uh, for the next couple of days? Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, it's always refreshing to be amongst colleagues, and it's encouraging to see the energy continue after, really after decades of working on this. And it doesn't just continue, it grows. Uh, the group is becoming more sophisticated, more informed, more capable, more tools, more soldiers, um, you know, more people advancing the message working, uh, I say soldiers, that sounds combative. Uh, <laughs> it's really, you know, information soldiers, uh, people working angles, um, sharing information, uh, helping the general public understand these issues better, cultivate uh, support, cultivate um, more people that can spread the same message. Uh, you know, so what's really important about what we do is the integrity of our message, that we make sure our facts are straight and our information is correct and that we you know convey it in a respectful manner in a way that can be easily received and digested your your presentation today was really was really incredible it was so thorough felt really passionate and inspired can you just touch on how you came up with your material today and what what inspired you to your message today interesting question um it was a few late nights of working after hours to put that together. Uh, and it's basically a, a body of information that's st- stuff I, you know, work with all the time. So it's in my head largely, and I know where my resources are and how to fact check myself. Um, and it's been a long evolution over the last couple decades of crafting this message because of sort of understanding the issues and where, where the forces are that work for and against uh, wolf conservation and large carnivore conservation and the advancement of, you know, ecological awareness um, and that the value behind that. So I guess I've always been pretty, pretty good at sort of remembering and, and bringing all these uh, concepts together into a message. There was one interesting thing that you said today, which struck me in a positive light, that you said the the funding or the money that's going into Idaho, I think whether it's with Fish and Wildlife, is actually working towards non-lethal methods. There's more money that's funneling over to that side, or it's, it's evening out in that way. Is that a new development? Is that something that you've seen over the past couple of years that's happened, that uh, it seems they're trying to at least go 50-50 in terms of lethal to non-lethal management? So it's not that they're trying to go 50-50. That's just happened organically, uh, which is great. You know, with... um, So, interesting question. Uh, You know, we just got done listening to Carter Niemeyer talk, who used to work for Wildlife Services, and reading his books and understanding the history of that agency. It's a branch of the USDA. It's always been considered the hired gun of the uh, livestock industry. Um, 
and their main tool has always been lethal control, and they've always had a history of being a rather opaque uh, agency. Um, so it's really encouraging because you, if you follow the money, well, what's happened is that this uh, Wildlife Services Non-Lethal Initiative, that a few uh, bigger NGOs were instrumental in advancing and advocating for before Congress, has grown its budget uh, just in the last few years. And you know, the example I gave was that Idaho's not, uh, budget from that, the Idaho branch of wildlife services uh it's gone from fifty thousand dollars a year in 2021 now to three hundred thousand dollars a year and idaho wildlife services is spending roughly that much actually a little bit less in the last fiscal year on killing wolves so the money speaks and it's demonstrating the increasing popularity and interest uh in um non-lethal now it wouldn't happen on its own uh Livestock producers, ranchers, they, they need to show an interest. And if the rancher wants to just stick with lethal, then wildlife service services will be the ones to do that for them. However, what they're also learning is that when you kill wolves, uh, new wolves will fill that space and the problem may or may not persist or may return eventually. Non-lethal allows the local resident pack to learn negative association with livestock and humans and that becomes a learning experience their 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 you know instincts their preference is to stick with native prey so they don't easily gravitate towards predating upon livestock that happens based on various circumstances and the more you disrupt packs it's logical it makes sense to think that the more vulnerable they become, the more desperate they become, the easier prey they may have to resort to, even if their preference is wild native elk, deer, things like that. So yes, the application of these tools has caused a greater demand for these tools and presumably is creating more stability where they're being applied between wolves um, and livestock. Is it mandatory for, in the wolf plan in Idaho right now, is it mandatory for them to take some initiative in sharing non-lethal methods with, with ranchers? Or, or who are the responsible parties for, for sharing this kind of information, for implementing these kind of tactics? Or is there a, a private entity that's, that's making themselves responsible for doing these types of things? But how are ranchers getting a hold of the tools and the, and the knowledge to actually implement non-lethal management? <laughs> Well, so I, I want to go back just a little bit to the last question to say these tools work for lots of large carnivores, not just wolves. Yeah, That's an important yeah, thing to recognize, you yeah. know, because it isn't all about wolves. It's about keeping the peace on the landscape. Yeah. Uh, so to answer that question, well, when an attack or something happens uh, where, where a, a dead head of livestock is found, in, in the pasture or in the you know grazing allotment, uh, then the way it normally happens is that uh, it's reported to Fish and Game, or it's reported to Wildlife Services. Wildlife Services conducts an investigation, a necropsy, and if that's done thoroughly, it involves the skinning out of an animal until the dead animal until subcutaneous hemorrhaging is found, which means bleeding underneath the skin. Uh, if that is found, um, it's indicative usually of, depending on the location, especially in the hamstring area, of a wolf attack. 
And at that point, they can start to conclude that that's what occurred. If that's not found, they will skin out the entire animal. And if it's not found at all, then the conclusion is it was not a uh, wolf attack. So um, that's the process. But then the option is, do you go with lethal or do you go with non-lethal? Well, you know, so there then begins the discussion between wildlife services and this producer. Um, That producer may have already had a relationship with them and said, yeah, you know, I'm interested in having a range rider. It's, you know, it's, it's something that you have the funding for, you have the resources for. Let's see how that goes. So if it begins to work and that season mm. there are no depredations in an area that may have had depredations. Now, um, just to be clear, as my statistics and my presentations painted the picture, there, you know, this is not um, a, a, a landscape-wide problem. This is very specific, yeah, and it can also yes, and it can also have um, surgical uh, application to do, to be dealt with. It shouldn't be a, a blanket thing, you know, across the, the landscape everywhere. Non-lethal can be, especially in what I was referring to as front and side country. In the back country, once you get further away from grazing allotments, you're not going to encounter these conflicts, and so. Wildlife services work really happens to be around the fringes of wolf habitat where it starts to overlap with a lot of pasture land and grazing land and things like that. And that's where they conduct their operations. So in those pretty limited geographies, uh, you know, word may catch on that these non-lethal tools are working. Uh, What wildlife services is currently using is range riders. Um, they are also using uh, noise, bo- um, uh, well, uh, you know, things like starter starter pis- pistols and things like that that are, will haze wolves, but oh, also these electronic uh, noise-making boxes that operate throughout the evening. Yeah, if you um, watched our last episode, we call them Aussie boxes because mm-hmm. of Kurt, uh, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Holtzen's Holson. Aussie yes, box that yeah. plays Aussie Osborne. Kurt's got a, a, re- a really great device that he has uh, made really functional, lightweight, yeah. and... Uh, and um, and also, you know, is recharging through solar energy, and yeah. uh, it's you know, it's a, it's a great innovative tool. Yeah. Um, it's taking that 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 tool to the next level. So those are the tools that they're using for um, wildlife services. Now, wildlife services could be- benefit into getting it into a dog program, into fox lights, things like that. You know, they could in, uh, expand their toolkit um, yeah. and and. You know, the way it works is that wildlife services is there in the field responding to them, and so they're the right uh, entity to try to promote this kind of thing. However, they also need to kind of continue to develop their own toolkit because the more tools they have and the more they rotate them and the ways they choose to apply them, the more success they're going to have with their non-lethal program. So, you know, for instance, I mentioned uh, 61, or well, 41 sheep being killed by one wolf uh, on the you know, one on one producer's um, herd, uh, and and this singular wolf um, was eventually killed. Well, that producer had been implementing some non-lethal, uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't enough to to deter this from happening, um, and so the attacks continued. Um, perhaps you know, if he had a broader suite of tools, perhaps. Um, if there were uh, different application strategies applied, maybe there would have been a way to deter that animal from continuing that behavior. Um, but regardless, uh, I always, you know, as unpopular as it is, these are that this is the middle ground where 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 people are running their businesses, some quite often on private land, raising their private livestock, um, and so when that happens. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's lethal should be considered the last arrow in the quiver. And, you know, as unpopular as that is, it is a way of keeping the peace between these interests. And you, if you take away that last lethal option, then you're really um, alienating, isolating the non-lethal program, too. Uh, but the non-lethal program is going to prevent future attacks. And I think that's really its strong point because it's an educational tool for the wildlife and it creates, it, you know, it, it appeases all sides. Livestock stays alive. Alive, alive, and the wolves stay alive, and um, so both sides should be appeased by that, uh, and that's that's really the end game that we're looking for. Um, you know, unfortunately, with large carnivores sharing landscape with human interests, there will always be some degree of conflict. Uh, but the most, the, the you know, the best we can do to el eliminate that conflict, the the better uh, things will be for for both hum humans, livestock, and wolves. Yeah. What are you, I know it's only day one, what are you encouraged by just by looking at the vast amount of speakers that are here, yourself included, the group that's here attending this summit? What are some things that you're looking forward to? What is something that you've already heard that gives you encouragement about the way uh, these talks are happening, I think, with groups like this um, and doing conferences and summits of these types? Well, I feel that there has been a steady evolution in the sophistication of of the people here, um, in their in in terms of their total body of knowledge. I feel like um, people are really up to speed on the issue. I feel that there's a recognition for some of this middle ground where necessary, um, rather than a you know a really divisive approach to the issue. I think that the, there's a recognition of trying to figure out how to strike the best balance, uh, you know, and, and that's really encouraging. You know, we see development, as we're talking about with wildlife services, that are, that's changing there, you know, and I think it's in a nascent stage. I don't trust it entirely. I don't feel like it's, you know, a, a done deal of resolving conflict. I think it needs to be nurtured. I think it needs to be encouraged. I think it needs to be celebrated. And I see this, the same thing with some state agencies, uh, particularly Washington and Colorado, in showing growth uh, to start to include uh, non-consumptive interests, non-game species, um, rather than just that focus, that utilitarian approach to wildlife management that I think is still pretty, uh, pretty strong in places like Idaho. Uh, but as surrounding states be, begin to embrace a new paradigm, I believe that those examples um, years from now, as they've demonstrated their efficacy, can be uh, brought back to places like Idaho, Montana, um, and Wyoming. You know, perhaps Montana would be the next one to catch on just based on some of the willingness to be progressive in the past about uh, taking new approaches to, to coexistence. Um, I, I, you know, I'm encouraged to hear some of my colleagues and their approaches uh, to working with legislature, the legislature. Um, I, I think they're spot on on what their approach is. I think uh, having conversations across the aisle and 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 dissolving that divide, um, so there is no aisle, um, and you know we're just working towards. Um, common goals from different angles, perhaps. I think maybe someday we can get there. 
So I, I, I see that evolution occurring. I see a lot of pushback. I see a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to be foolishly optimistic, um, but I, I, think, I think giving space for good to be done, even if it's coming from what was previously identified as the opponent, um, that space needs to be given so that um, progress can be made when, you know, and then keep an eye on it. I wasn't there for your first interview with, with John, so forgive me if this, if this is redundant, but I'm, I'm curious what it means to you or what it feels like to be championing and expanding your family's legacy. Well, thanks. Um, you know, it's, it's through my family that I learned my values about wildlife and about nature, which I continued with through my education. Um, but you know, growing up with those values, uh, with nature at my fingertips, working with nature, understanding animals, recognizing the value of habitat, um, conservation, natural resources, um, and identifying wildlife's own inherent right to exist because it's, it's because it not, not because it's a resource, but right. because it's a life, because right. it's a species, because it's an animal, because it's part of something bigger, yeah. is um, a value system that I, you know, started with my family. So that's, that's you know, I have to make sure that that's um, clear that that's where that came from originally. If there's one thing or what's something, let's just say this, because the, there are many people that can't be here. Mm -hmm. What's, what's the message that you wanted to get across with your presentation, but also that you want to just tell everyone who's not at this summit right now that, they, that you want them to take away from these two and a half days with all these individuals here? I'd say, you know, excitement for some progress. Uh, legislators in several states have made things really difficult, but I think that their um, extreme actions have drawn a lot of attention to these issues, allowing for more um, opportunity and progress to be made by the conservation community. Uh, you know, I think that, ironically, that when legislators um, be begin acting so extreme with some of their legislation, that creates opportunity to raise awareness, opportunity to generate interest, support, and groundswell. Uh, and so I think that that's, you know, sort of exciting at this point. Um, also, you know, the very little bits of progress that are being made need to be amplified and celebrated because where, where they're happening, they are quite often the right thing. And I think that really needs to be something that we point to because, um, as challenging as the political environment is, I, I do see um, good reasons for optimism uh, in the recent, say, five years. Mm. So that's, that's really encouraging. Uh, and so, you know, that's something that I, I definitely think needs to be kind of uh, at the heart of what we're discussing here and what we're recognizing um, is that progress and, and to embrace and nurture that as, as it grows mm. and to be part of that. I, we this is, I mean, I won't say it's the first time, but it's definitely the most concentrated messaging I've heard about just uh, all this optimism. I mean, things working out and things kind of changing. What do you credit that to right now? Are people just tired of 
I think there's more um, more willingness to meet in the middle. Uh, I, I think that people understand the, the the heritage perspective, the cultural perspective of you know of how people lived on the landscape for a long time, and I think you know I think some uh, agency people are also understanding the desire to have a more balanced ecological system uh, and not just be looking at the revenue of hunting uh, for the what for what dictates wildlife management on the landscape I feel like um, you know these are all really encouraging signs I think that uh, it's happening you know I'm a little more encouraged with the feds than I am with our state agencies right now I'm, I'm very um, I'm anticipating what this Montana wolf plan will look like. Uh, you know, can't um, can't speak to that till we see it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. But I think recognizing the importance of large ca- carnivores on the landscape is something that uh, has been a um, repeated message for long enough, and that with backing of science in terms of their their ecological, you know, biological benefit to the system and their essential role, I think that that continues to, uh, to grow in, uh, in the minds of many on, on both sides of this issue. Um, you know, there is recognition of that coming from the agency side. And I want to note, because you said this, and, and rightfully so, that we're talking about not just wolves. And it's, do you feel that the policies and the push for that balance and optimism in the wolf side is helping now for some of the confrontations that may happen with delisting of grizzly bears, mountain lions coming to the forefront also. Do you, do you feel that there's, you're saying the education and the, the efforts are more concerted and concentrated and a little bit more knowledgeable that that will help those other predators if and when those issues arise for mountain lions, grizzlies, Bobcat, anything that's in that. Well, there's a playbook. You know, there's a roadmap. There's a blueprint um, for for how this can play out. Uh, You know, grizzlies offer new challenges, um, but their role is just as important. They belong in the ecosystems that they are native to, uh, like anything else. And um, you know. Often it's, you know, commerce, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 the headwinds against these issues are quite often driven by commerce, you know, things like livestock production. Um, I want to be clear that I think that addressing livestock conflict uh, with large carnivores should have a different approach on public lands than it does on private land. Uh, I think there should be a little bit more leniency and understanding if somebody um, is trying to protect their private property on their private land. However, that's also something that needs to be, you know, carefully measured on how. But when it comes to America's public lands and their wildlife on those public lands, I don't believe that um, the livestock production industry should have total priority over native wildlife. Yeah, I think I tend to agree that private land and public land are there's some there's a difference there, there's some difference there, but yeah. Anyways, this is an an amazing first day, amazing speech. Um, I really appreciate your what, time. What? Uh, give me some of your takeaways from what you heard today. Um, 
Well, my first take, my very first takeaway, at least my very first takeaway, was was uh, our our native prayer speaker, Lance Forstar. The language was so beautiful. Wasn't like, that great? I didn't know exactly what he was saying, but you could feel yes the power in his messaging. I love Carter Niemeyer. Everything mm-hmm. that guy <laughs> that guy talks about intrigues me. Well, he's um, had an interesting journey. Yeah, really interesting journey. Um, Joanna Lambert, yeah. her speech was uh, always informative. It wasn't. It was kind of like the Aspen one, but. A, a, a whole group of new information was in there. I'll, I'll just say that, like, who made me, and he kicked off the whole first day was uh, Cam Shawley, who's the right. he's yeah. the superintendent of Yellowstone National Park, and and I'm I'm getting like goosebumps thinking about it, but he just really set the tone, I think, for the outlook and the balance and the way that th- things are starting to, I I think, turn. Again, ever so slightly, but it's get we're, we're getting over the hump of this, like you said, Garrick, this divisiveness, this I all this. No, we need to. We're working together to make sure that people on both ends, but mostly in this middle, which a lot of us are in, are, are working to preserve the wild, all of the wildlife, the wild lands, the people that are stewards of it. You know, counting in native voices and and really bringing everyone to the table. That that to me really just kicked off the whole first day. Right. And just was, was really phenomenal. Like Cam, out, yeah. Cam was excellent, you know, and his message to find that fertile ground where we can agree yeah. and work on those in those areas um, is, I think, exactly correct. We don't need to compromise a lot of our position on these issues in order to f- identify those places and be productive. Yeah. I also think I also think that some folks who have never who have never been to an event quite like this with with Wolf Advocates, they tend to think that um, there's a lot of broad brush painting at events like this. And I'm just not I don't I've never found that to be true. I find that it's really impressive how specific these issues are, how educated people are in these issues. And I'd say it, it's a very balanced, um, very balanced perspective, very balanced approach. I've only been to like two of these, so it's still new to me. It's still still very very new to me. These advocate you know hosted events and they are just like you know you can't ask for for more information and more more specific issues that are being tackled in a more as calculated as they can be of course money's always an obstacle for these types of things for how how to execute you know actually getting somewhere and making some making some changes to legislation and and it's amazing how how folks are doing this i mean mark's like a just one of the coolest guys. You can't ask for a better guy to be going into a room of people who probably don't agree with him, and uh, and talking about these subjects. And he's really, I mean, man, we got we should be proud that he's he's the one out there, you know, yeah. showing up. Absolutely. So, you know, and what you guys at Wolf Connection are doing in carrying this message forward, putting it out there for the public to consume, is a very valuable role that you guys are playing for sure. No. And I appreciate that. No, we and we appreciate the. And when we set this we, again. We can't thank all of you, you, you individuals, because your your willingness to come on and speak to us and and really just because we, we want to cede the floor to you all because you guys have you all have the information. You've lived it literally, Garrick. Um, you know, Mark, Kim, Carter, all these people. You guys have been in the trenches for decades. And so it's it's our pleasure to to give the platform to you all, to to speak outside of this because I, and these this, these are one of the things that we wanted to do here is to to spread everything that we're hearing to everyone out there who's outside of the gardener outside of the garden area who's not able to attend this wonderful summit 
um, and that they can get the information and all the uh, the balance and the positivity that's coming out of something like this. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, lastly for me, I, I'll just I, like John said, we you know this is all about interviewing the geniuses, and you guys are all in your genius zone here, but it's. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. Like, you know, we talk, we've talked to Mark and Kim plenty of times. We've talked to a lot of folks here. And even sometimes after 150 episodes, I get tired of the, of the contention sometimes. I'm like, what are we actually going to do about this? It seems like we're always inching forward and we're inching back and we're inching forward and we're inching back. And you guys never get tired, man. I mean, you get tired, of course, but it, you, you come across as like, I am tired. I'm, I, this has been a hard road trying to get this message out, and I'm showing up 100% every single time. And while I'm there, I'm going to be energized. I'm going to give my message the best that I can. And there's no stopping in these, in these folks, man. There's no stopping. It's pretty unbelievable. You know, I want to say the agency people that I interact with in Idaho, um, a lot of them, you know, I mean, they're... they're they're educated, uh, they are good people, and they um, are willing to listen. Uh, and so there are open doors to make progress, even, even in Idaho. And, you know, there are signs of that occurring, for sure. Uh, you know, so, so even in the toughest nut to crack, um, there's room. But you're the yeah. you're the you're the best nutcracker. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you're 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 in the the position to be the perfect nutcracker for the to, to crack the nut that needs to. Needs well, I hope so. Time. You know, and I I hope I come across as reasonable uh, to not just obviously this room, but um, those who I'm meeting with in Boise as well. Yeah, yeah. you are. You do. I mean, there's no, there's no way to not think that. Garrick, it's again. It's it's great to finally meet you in person. Yeah. It's it's great to you know, you know, talk shop with you and and everybody else here. And uh, you know, I can't wait to you know, we'll, we're here for the next you know for the for the duration, here for the while. So really can't wait to you know break bread with you and and the rest of everybody here over the next couple of days. It's really it's really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, John. And you know, I agreed. Uh, me as well. <laughs> and and Stephen, it's nice to meet you. Okay, well, thanks, guys, for having me on, and uh, good luck charging forward. Absolutely. Thanks so much. How's to y'all out there? And Stephen, I'll continue with our coverage from the Wolf Summit, the Yellowstone Wolf Summit. How's to y'all, and see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org, where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer. <laughs>